What does the Bible really say about sex? Are women responsible for the sexual integrity of men? What's the difference between sexual purity and sexual integrity? Was Jesus a feminist? Is there a difference between sexual desire and desire for sex? How do I embrace my sexuality? What if I never meet someone? What if I end up all alone? My book, Sexless in the City, was a fork in the road moment in my life. I was tired of not having sex. I was tired of feeling shame from purity and evangelical Christian culture. I felt like a victim to Christianity. I had no idea why I wasn't having sex outside of I thought somewhere the Bible may have told me so, but it really was no longer compelling enough to keep my pants on, if I'm being real. I needed to figure out what I believed about God, sex, intimacy, gender roles, and really everything in between and why. Sexless in the City is that journey. So whether you're single, dating, married, a parent, I believe that this book can encourage, equip, and support you. So check out Sexless in the City anywhere that you buy books from Amazon to Kindle, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. I would be so honored to have you on this journey with me. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris, and welcome to part two of the conversation. What does the Bible really say about sex? Because honestly, what the F does it really say? I really want to know. I wanted to know. I'm glad that I really have looked it up and do know, and I'm excited to share it with you. Before we get into that, a few things. Thank you so much, Newsstand Studio here at Rockefeller Center here in New York City for holding the space and producing and sponsoring my show. I am like a giddy schoolgirl. I'm very, very thankful for your support. So thank you, Newsstand Studio. Over the last five years, I've fallen in love with skincare. My only regret is I wish I would have started focusing on it earlier. Today, I get to talk to you about Swedish skincare company, Foreo. Foreo exists to reinvent beauty and wellness by offering an ever-expanding range of innovative devices that instill confidence and provide a different kind of power to the one using it, the power of beauty. Now, Foreo strives to transform the world by turning daily routines into vibrant rituals. They celebrate the beauty of aging gracefully, and their innovations make the perfect skincare partner for any stage of life. 
Now here's where it gets exciting. Forio has bundled their best-selling devices into a luxurious set exclusively for Amazon shoppers, featuring the Luna 3. You can choose the Luna 3 bundle that best suits your needs and skin type, whether you have normal, sensitive, or combination skin. Also included in this Amazon bundle is Forio's UFO Mini and Call It a Night UFO Activated Mask. These three products together are the trifecta and will have your skin glowing and radiant in 90 seconds. Now, this set is valued at $307.99 and retails on Amazon for $249. But for my listeners, you get the coupon code REFINEDC50 and you can get the entire at-home facial set for $199. So head on over to amazon.com and use the coupon code REFINEDC50. Last week... I shared the story that led me on the journey of digging into the Bible and literally looking up every verse in the Bible that talks about sex, because honestly, I was almost 30 at the time, and I was having a real hard time keeping my pants on, and quote unquote, because the Bible told me so, it didn't really feel compelling enough for me anymore, and I didn't really know if the Bible told me so. All I really knew was a set of rules and scripts given to me by church culture. And so I needed to find out for myself what the Bible actually said about sex. And then I needed to decide, do I care what it has to say about sex? Does it have anything compelling to say about intimacy or sex inside and outside of marriage? So part one, which is last week's episode, I unpack a lot of the New Testament teaching on sex. And I offer you questions like, What is sex? How do we define sex? How do you know when you're having it? And I navigate you through the some 20 plus passages in the New Testament that talk about sex. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go check it out because I'm not going to repeat it here. I will tell you this, that part one of the conversation identifies that the Bible does indeed say to flee from sexual activity outside of marriage. So there that is. If you want to know more, I go into the Greek and I even ask questions and unpack, what does sexual activity mean? (laughs) Because it kind of feels elusive. So the invitation to flee from sexual activity outside of marriage is clear, but the actual activity itself can feel a little unclear. That's what I unpack in part one. So be sure and check it out. All in all, there it is. Part one, there's a rule. And I don't even like saying rule. It honestly feels more like an invitation. But I do know what I experience about who God is and who Jesus is, is that when there is an external invitation, it's always linked to something below the surface. I experience that the physical is really never fully about the physical. It's always a manifestation or invitation to the spiritual. So if there is this invitation in the New Testament, we have to know that there's a deeper why. And that is what I was still on the mission to find out in the Bible, which took me to the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Wow. I mean, what can we say? There's a lot of effed up stuff in the Old Testament. And 
if you read through it, there's some really hard passages. And I don't want to pretend that those things aren't there. There's genocide, there's rape, there's incest, there's polygamy. There's some really dysfunctional things that unpack in the Old Testament of the Bible and what is referred to as the Torah. However, we also see some overarching, beautiful God themes that I want to unpack. One is 1 Samuel 16, 7, where God says to Samuel, don't consider outward appearance because God doesn't look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, looks at the heart. So again, if there's a rule, I don't like the rule, I would say when there's an invitation, there has to be a vision. So what's that vision? Let's go to the very first pages of Scripture. Genesis 1, the Hebrew creation account, is this creation of the universe. There was nothing. We see Genesis 1-1 saying, out of nothingness, God spoke. What we notice about the Hebrew God is that when God sees something, he speaks and it is so. So when God speaks, it comes into existence. And we also see that when there is nothingness and chaos, that feels like ripe ground for breakthrough and new vision and new life and vibrant colors. So I think that's just a beautiful thing to note that in the moments of our life that feel void and dark, perhaps scary, chaotic, that we don't have to resent that space, but actually that could be the access point for creativity and God to really burst forth into your story. So God speaks, it is so, it is good. We see that rhythm and cadence through Genesis 1 from God speaking light, dark, the heavens, the earths, the waters, the rain, the clouds, seahorses, freckles, tectonic plates, and black holes. There is this rhythm to the creation story. And it's almost like we're building to a climax. Hello. Pun intended, we're talking about sex. And the climax of this Hebrew creation story is the creation of humanity. So God says it is so, it is good for everything in creation. And then God shifts the story. In Genesis 1, 26 through 31, God does something different and distinct. God says, let us... And God is talking in the third person, (laughs) God, spirit, son, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness. And God didn't do that with anything else in creation. So there is this idea that humans are the climax, maybe even the orgasmic moment of the creation story. And when God says, let us make humanity in our image, that doesn't necessarily mean that humans are God. That's pantheism. What it means, the Hebrew there, is that humans are like mirror reflectors, reflecting the divine image, the divine spark, the God breath is pulsing throughout humanity because we exist. So from the very first page of the scripture, humanity is infiltrated with goodness, with value, 
purpose, dignity, creativity, all of these things, which here's what's interesting to note. So much of how we start the God story starts with how broken we are, how our bodies are bad, how our desires are bad. But actually the beginning of the God story is that we are good and not just that we are good. The text in 126 through 31 says that we are very good. God doesn't make bad things. I just think that's an important thing to say. You don't have to scroll very far down your newsfeed to find a story about the restorative effects of collagen. It's all the rage, but it's also way more than just hype. You can get the very best collagen on the market from Ancient Nutrition. Now, I've used collagen for years. I typically use it in the morning in my coffee. And it was one of those things that a few of my friends started using. And I honestly didn't know if I'd see a a noticeable difference in my life. But y'all, I totally did. And I continue to notice a difference in my nails, my hair, my skin, the glow of my skin that you guys are constantly asking me about on Instagram. That is all due to things like collagen. Now, Ancient Nutrition is an incredible company that has one goal, to transform the health of every individual on the planet with history's most powerful superfoods. Whether you want to improve your body, sharpen your mind, or just feel like your best self, Ancient Nutrition makes supplements that get real results you can see and feel. All Ancient Nutrition products are made from the highest quality ingredients and are rigorously and repeatedly tested for purity. Their best-selling multi-collagen protein powder includes five types of collagen. It is the first and only collagen on the market with clinically studied ingredients proven to help reduce joint discomfort as early as day one, improve fine lines, which hello, I love that, and wrinkles after four weeks, and transforms your overall skin tone after eight weeks. It's unflavored and dissolves in any liquid, which is why I put a scoop in my morning coffee or smoothie, or you can even put it in your baked goods. I put it in my gluten-free banana bread, and you don't even notice that it's there. So right now, Ancient Nutrition is offering 20% off your first order when you go to ancientnutrition.com and enter promo code REFINED at checkout. That's ancientnutrition.com. Enter promo code REFINED for 20% off your first order. Ancientnutrition.com, promo code REFINED. I'm an avid reader. I'm the girl who always has at least three books going at once, from nonfiction to memoirs, and I love getting lost in a good fiction book. I just got a new fiction book that I'm super excited about called Lost and Found Bookshop by Susan Wiggs. This New York Times bestseller, now in paperback, begins like this. After her mother's death, Natalie Harper inherits a charming but financially strapped bookshop in San Francisco and becomes caretaker for her ailing grandfather. Books provide welcome solace for her grief and struggle. This is a novel that book lovers will love. It's the perfect feel-good summer read. I don't know about you, but I just want a feel-good book to read at the pool. People Magazine calls the book a feel-good family saga, a charming tale about the silver linings of unwanted detours. This is perfect for readers of Jennifer Weiner, Emily Henry, Amanda Iyer Ward, or even Jojo Moyes. 
This is a great pick for book clubs and also really great to enjoy on the beach, at the lake, on vacation, or just in the comfort of your own home with a glass of wine. You can grab Lost and Found Bookshop wherever books are sold or find more at susanwigs.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-W-I-G-G-S.com. Moving on. Humanity is created. There's a calling on humanity to create and fill the earth and to make it flourish and to be creative and to lead well. And then God creates Adam and God puts Adam to work. (laughs) And Adam's job is to name all the animals, which I don't know if you've seen those TikToks of people making fun of different animal names, but I think it's funny. Anyways, Adam is naming all the animals and he's lonely. And God acknowledges in this time when Adam is working and Adam is alone, that it's not good for humans to be alone. And still, God doesn't instantly gratify that desire. It's almost as though God wants Adam to know what it's like to have an unfulfilled desire and longing and to sit with it, as opposed to, I want, I get, I'm entitled to it. Instant gratification, I want what I want when I want it, and I want it yesterday. There seems to be something here for waiting and having a delayed gratification and a desire unmet and sitting in trust that this creator of all things will somehow in some way fulfill that desire. So we notice sort of right from the get-go that this Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, is in no rush. And then God puts Adam to sleep. And you know the story, most likely. God puts Adam to sleep. God pulls a rib out of Adam and begins to fashion and form an altogether separate being. Something, someone that's altogether different and other than Adam. And this being is woman. And God calls this woman Eve. And God brings woman to man when God is done building her, fashioning her, forming her, creating her. And notice this, that Adam doesn't see Eve until God awakens him, until God gives Adam the eyes to see her. And, you know, I think sometimes as women, especially, we wonder why we're single and why does this not guy see me and where are all the guys? Maybe instead of complaining that there's a lack of single men in your community, what if you started talking with God about awakening the person for you? Because Adam doesn't see Eve until God wakes him up. So what happens when God finally awakens Adam? I love this. (laughs) The very first poem, this creative expression happens when Adam sees Eve for the first time. I imagine him like jumping up like in a Broadway musical and saying, oh, oh my gosh, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Adam's only plausible response to meeting and experiencing this altogether separate woman was poetry and art. Love does something to us. When we collide with love, it creates new things. You might even be surprised that you want to sing poetry when you meet someone that you're enthralled with. 
So the very first thing that Adam does is publicly acknowledge Eve's infinite value and worth. Now we move on. We're now into chapter two of Genesis of this creation account. And there's these tiny little verses. I bet I've read them a thousand times. Like I said before, I was a Bible major, but in this specific journey, in my sex journey, something pinged me about this verse. So here's the verses. Genesis 2, 23 says, Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman. So then 24 says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh, aka Adam knew Eve in the biblical sense. They had sex and they were naked and they felt no shame. So from the very first pages of the scripture, we see the precedence of sex is post-marriage. And the Hebrew word there for them knowing each other. So when you see the word know, like Adam knew Eve, or we see in 1 Samuel 1, when Hannah and her husband Elkanah know each other, that means sex, okay? The Hebrew word is yada. So yada, it's not just this physical act, this like P in the V act. It's this expression, this manifestation of mind, body, soul, spirit, this deep knowing. So sex becomes this multifaceted experience. And it's also interesting to know in the scriptures when we read verses like God knows the hair on your head. God knows you. Yada is the same word used there. So there's this deep, deep knowing, this this deep knowing between God and humanity and in the husband-wife marriage relationship. It's this yada word. It's almost as if we can't talk about sex without talking about God, and we can't talk about God without at some point acknowledging sex. And thank you, Rob Bell, for writing your book, Sex God, where that thought comes from. Now, here's what stood out to me about Genesis 2, 24, 25. When they leave their mother and father, they're united, become husband and wife, they have sexy time. So I wanted to dive on Hebrew culture because Today, right now, as it stands, as a 35-year-old single woman, I have literally had over 100 roommates since I graduated high school. It is not an exaggeration. I have had over 100 roommates from the time I was 18 to 35, okay? That's a lot of people. And yes, moving from high school to college is this rite of passage and moving out of your parents' house. But for us, we move in and out of houses and apartments all the time. And it's kind of not this big deal. At least the whole city doesn't really know about it. But in Hebrew culture, you move out of your house once and everybody knows about it. And it means something. You move out of your home to get married. Now, here's what would happen. Hebrew guy would be like, I want to propose to this girl. So he would go to her family's house, talk to the family. If they agreed, yeah, this is a good fit. Then yes, you may marry our daughter. Then the Hebrew boy be like, okay, great. 
let me go home and build her a house. (laughs) So they actually don't get married until the Hebrew dude builds a house for this woman. So there's none of this dating and secret Also, in, you know, biblical times, there's no such thing as dating as we know it today, right? So there's a lot of cultural differences happening. But all that to say, if a guy was interested in a girl, her whole family knew about it. It was none of this like, oh, I don't want to introduce you to my family. (laughs) It's not time. No, everyone knows. Their intentions are clear. Intentions are out in the open. It's none of this confusing, what are we it's out, it's loud, it's proud, and you're only getting married if he builds you a house. So homeboy goes back home and day in, day out, brick by brick or whatever material he was using, he's building a house. Now this means a few things. This means that homeboy has a job. So he's not like, pursuing his passion project and living off the family dollar. Typically, there were family businesses and the home that he was building was on his family property. So that means he's a part of the family business. He has the financial means to provide a home for her by him building this house layer upon layer, day in and day out. He's not only showing his family and your family and you, he's also showing the entire community and village that, hey, I'm off the market. I'm a one woman kind of guy and I'm serious about this woman and I'm willing to do whatever it takes for her to know how serious I am. I'm even gonna build a house for her. I'm willing to put in the time, resources, diligence, integrity into this process so that everyone knows I'm with her. What I think is really interesting about that is I don't know if you're like me, but I've responded to more than one late night you up text. You want to hang out. I've kissed more than one guy who wanted to kiss me after a couple glasses of wine at nighttime, but never wanting to hold my hand in the daylight at brunch with his friends on a Saturday. I've had many confusing situations with guys where I'm like, well, we're hanging out. If it quacks like a duck, has feathers like a duck and walks like a duck, isn't it a duck? Aren't we dating? And he's like, what? Why would you ever think that? This is, this is just friends. No, none of this is happening in the God story of relationship. Intentions are clear. The man is willing to do whatever because he sees her worth and value. And I don't know about you, but so much of my life, because I didn't know I was worthy, I settled for scraps of attention from men. And I felt like, you know what? I should just be lucky that guy's looking at me. Something feels better than nothing. So I'll just take what I can get. But from the very beginning, that's not the vision that God has for humanity and relationship. He's like, no, 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 no. Woman is so high value. Woman encapsulates so much worth that if a dude wants to be with her, he gets to show everyone in town that he's off the market and he's willing to pursue and he's willing to do whatever it takes to make her feel safe and respected in that relationship. I don't know about you. I want a relationship like that. I want a sort of Genesis 2 type of love. 
Also, I don't know if you've dated this type of guy. I call him the I'm gonna guy. You know, the guy who's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna take you out or yeah, I'm going to apply for that job or I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to work on that addiction, whatever it is. But guess what? They don't do it. Maybe you're an I'm going to (laughs) person. Guys aren't just I'm going to. But I don't want to be with an I'm going to. I want to be with a person who is their word and who is willing to perhaps delay some sort of gratification and desire to put in the work to build a solid foundation. The Hebrew man was literally willing to build a physical foundation of his commitment to this woman. And remember, like I said a few minutes ago, the physical is never about the physical. It always is a manifestation or an invitation to the spiritual. So am I saying, man, the Hebrew dude is a multimillionaire and he's a CEO of a business and you should only date someone who has a ton of money who is going to financially provide for you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's a heart behind a person who is ready to be in a relationship, who is willing to put his money where his mouth is. Now, after all of this, Adam and Eve get married. And the text says the two become one flesh. So their souls become one in marriage and their bodies follow suit and they hold fast to each other and they're naked and unashamed and even God is in their midst. So this whole religious narrative that makes sex and sexuality and eroticism taboo and gross and yucky That's not from the pages of the Bible. We see from even the Hebrew creation account, there's this erotic rhythm to the creation account with humans being the climax of creation. And then God really unpacking, here's what this beautiful sex life can look like in the midst of a safe, trusted, respected relationship. It's almost like, God is kicking off the God's story with this beautiful, intimate marriage and sexual encounter. It's like God is saying from the very beginning, this is the type of relationship I want for you. Now, I've been ghosted, stood up, cheated on, breadcrumbed, friend zoned, heartbroken, and seriously, every single freaking thing in between. But reading Genesis 2 woke something up in me. God may have awakened Adam to Eve in Genesis 1, but God woke something up in me. I want to be with someone that is willing to do whatever it takes to be with me. I want a Genesis 2 type of love story. So perhaps the invitation to experience sex inside of marriage has less to do with rule following and whether or not you're allowed to have a seat at the table. Perhaps it has less to do with a low view of sex, a shame-filled view of sex saying, you have to do this so God will do this for you. But perhaps the whole thing is an invitation to a much grander vision of the sexual encounter, not a low view but a high view. And that's just in the first page and a half of the Genesis creation account. We move on throughout scripture and we see books like the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, which if you've never read Song of Solomon, holy cow, that is like a foreplay, sexual, 
handbook that's in the very pages of scripture. In fact, Hebrew boys were not even allowed to read Song of Solomon until they became a man, until they came of age. And there's even some Jewish teachers that encouraged their students not to read it until they were 30 years old because it was that risque and that erotic and that playful and adventurous of sexual encounters between King Solomon and his wife. In fact, I'm not going to go too much into it, but I think it's so incredible. The text of Song of Songs starts with the bride saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. A few verses later, she says, come to my garden. So basically, we have a woman who is empowered and feels so safe in her sexual encounter with her spouse that she's able to give informed and enthusiastic consent. And she's saying, by all accounts, dude, I want you to go down on me. <laughs> yeah, like they're they're referencing oral sex here in Song of Songs. And what I think is so beautiful about this Old Testament account of Solomon and bride marriage is that from the very first breaths of the passage, it would seem as though the female body and pleasure and consent is very high priority, which would also debunk so many of the painful narratives and religious institutions that makes women not as sexual as men or says that, you know, if you want to be a good wife or a godly wife, you better keep him fed in the kitchen and sexed up in the bedroom. No, 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 no. The Hebrew God says, no, the woman's going to say, this is what I want. I get to have pleasure. We both get to have pleasure. And the cool part of Song of Song is, so then he reciprocates and then he says what he wants and it unfolds. And then their community, their friends say, you guys be drunk on love off of each other. And I always wonder if that's where Beyonce came up with her song, Drunk in Love. Hello, it's right out of Song of Song. But you see again that their relationship is nothing hidden. In fact, people are so for their marriage relationship that they're like, yeah, guys, go have sex. Don't hang out with us. Go be drunk on love off of each other. And I love that that is the precedent that is burst forth into scripture. So no, I don't see a pattern of women being oppressed or women being less than or women not allowed to be sexual in the way that men are in the pages of scripture. I see a God vision for sex that is robust and beautiful and deep and rich. And it was transforming to me. So there you have it. I want a Genesis 2 type of love. And there's more. I'm not going to go through every book of the Old Testament of Scripture to kind of cast the Old Testament biblical vision and precedence of, of sex, but those are two that really, really stood out to me and I actually go way deeper into the Song of Solomon story in my book, Sexless in the City. So for now, here's what I want to leave you with. What are your thoughts on sex? after listening to part one and part two. What stood out to you? What resonated? What felt surprising? What, after hearing this, do you disagree with? Is there anything that makes you feel uncomfortable? 
What questions do you still have? What do you think about this Genesis 2 type of love? And here's again what I want to say is by me sharing this stuff with you, this isn't me saying, if you don't do it my way, if you don't listen to what I'm teaching about the Bible, you are wrong, you are bad, get out of here. This is just me sharing parts of my journey of figuring out, do I want to wait until marriage to have sex? Why or why not? And yes, the New Testament invitation was helpful for me because I was like, oh, it actually is really clear. <laughs> like the, the biblical invitation is no sex outside of marriage. That is clear. But that's not what impacted my heart. What impacted my heart was experiencing this robust, freeing, abundant, safe, mutual respect, mutual honor, mutual pleasure vision that was cast in the Genesis 2 story. I, for me, experiencing that changed everything. I want, I want to stand high in my worth and be connected to that in my relationship. And to be frank, when I started this journey, I thought, oh, I'm for sure going to end this journey and totally have sex in my dating relationships. In fact, I went on the journey to, to find a way in scripture where I could prove and justify me having sex in my dating relationships. And I feel like the big like cosmic joke was on me. Like I kind of have ended more conservative than when I started. And there you have it. <laughs> that's, that's what happened. All right. Here's what I want to ask you. First, go through those questions that I mentioned a few minutes ago. And if you have any specific questions, because there's a lot more here, right? Like we're just scratching the surface. Please, please email social at the because I'm happy to do more episodes like this and I'm happy to un unpack more. I, I kind of don't want to do these all the time because I don't want you to feel like I'm necessarily preaching at you, <laughs> but I love theology. I love digging into scripture. I love digging into the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic. So let me know your questions, social at the And if you really love this podcast, if it's been a gift to you, I would love to invite you to support our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the refined collective and you can help fund the refined woman for as little as $5 a month. And I even put out weekly VIP exclusive video content just for the Patreon community. Patreon, if you are a part of our Patreon community, thank you so much. I love you. Bless you. Have a good day. All right, guys. Until next time, talk to you soon.